You're listening to Destiny for Nomads, the ultimate podcast for digital nomads looking to take their lifestyle to the next level. I'm Laurent Autain, your host and fellow remote worker. Originally from France, I've lived abroad for over two decades, spending 20 years in Southeast Asia before settling in Helsinki, Finland in July 2019. In this exciting first season, we'll be sharing invaluable insights and tips on how to prepare for becoming a digital nomad. Whether you're just starting or a seasoned traveler, our guests will provide you with everything you need to know to optimize your nomadic life no matter where you are. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back and relax. Welcome to Destiny for Nomads. Destiny for Nomads is brought to you by Medical for Nomads. As a digital nomad, remote worker or expat, you never know what health issues may arise while on the go. Travel health insurance can cover minor ailments like a scooter crash in Thailand. But what if you need primary medical treatment like kidney stone removal in Dubai or heart surgery in the UK? That's where Medical for Nomads comes in. Unlike travel health insurance, Medical for Nomads offers real medical insurance designed specifically for global nomads, expats, and remote workers. And it covers all the big things. With just a two-minute application process, you can get covered within 24 hours. Don't leave your health to chance. Visit medicalfornomads.com to protect yourself with comprehensive medical insurance. And as a special bonus for listeners of Destiny Phonomads, check out the show notes for a 10% discount on your next Medical Phonomads policy. Take care of yourself and your health with Medical Phonomads. You deserve it. Every show starts with a first episode. So welcome to episode one of Destiny Phonomads podcast. Opening the show and joining me from Melbourne, Australia is David Fuller. David has been a digital nomad since 1999. So basically 24 years. Maybe he was the first digital nomad ever. (laughs) (laughs) David works as a consultant for Pilot Media, which is a company based in the UK. He says that being a digital nomad allows him to view the world through a different lens and understand local nuances. The problem, though, is that the world is set up based on a single address system for bank accounts, insurance, ID, etc. And I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about that. David's recommendation for other digital nomads or aspiring digital nomads, understand your runway. How long can you survive with no income? So have an exit strategy. Where will you go if you need to get out? How will you get out, etc.? David, thank you very much for joining me on episode one. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. So were you the first digital nomad ever? <laughs> um, they, I, don't, I think they just called them backpackers back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know, when I, I know when I started, the, uh, the concept of being a digital nomad was a little bit different. You had to uh, access the internet via internet cafes mm. and if you weren't on if you weren't an internet cafe paying three dollars an hour or 
something even more extortionate than that, then you had to uh, deal with dial-up. So <laughs> that's how long ago it was. Yeah, I, I I remember I left. So I'm not a digital nomad, but I left I left France in 1999 too, like in October 1999 to go to Laos. I I know I remember exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I must have missed you by a couple of months. I was in Laos in '99 as well. And, well, uh, I arrived there. I landed on the 3rd of October 1999. I still remember that day. <laughs> I sent a. Uh, I remember Laos actually had very, very little internet when I was there in 99. And I remember yeah. some, sending one of those aerograms, you know, the, the, the envelopes that you used to fold out. And I used, I wrote, I literally wrote a handwritten letter to my mum and sent it from Laos. And yeah. uh, when I returned three months later, uh, it still hadn't arrived. So it did being a digital nomad in Laos in 99 was not an option. <laughs> but it's what's what's a digital nomad then i think the term has become popularized by people whose work allows them to allows them to deliver their work from basically anywhere there's an internet connection mm. so so that was the i think that was the big change you used to be able to do some work remotely and maybe send it via email or whatever, but the the speeds of internet, access to internet, and the ability for somebody to work 100% remote with only a laptop and the connection to the internet, whether that's tethering off a mobile phone or in an internet cafe or carrying a laptop around, I think that's the big that's the big change. And and some of those people are coders. Some of those people are copywriters. Some of those people are, uh, yeah. There's a there's a wide range of those people, but if effectively, it allows them to deliver their product, their work product, via an internet connection only. Right, right. So the most important aspect of being a digital nomad is the it's it's the digital aspect. <laughs> it's the it's the connect yeah it's the connectivity part. Yeah, you know yeah. You, you can't be submitting work via mail um it's it's got to be you know you might be on a vpn coding directly into a you know into a system or or whatever but yeah connectivity i think is the big thing that's changed the the nomadic experience because there's been nomads for thousands of years mm. but the digital nomad is specifically about people who create their work product digitally mm. and use connectivity global connectivity to be able to uh deliver that from from anywhere in the world basically right why did you start your journey so i grew up in australia well, i grew up in melbourne where i where i am now and as an australian living on the other side of the world you get a feeling or a sense that you are disconnected from the globe again this is mm. pre-internet 1999 mm. i was using very basic internet at work but i had to book time on a computer in order to get access to it i think i got my very first hotmail email address just as i just before i left australia but uh yeah i started as a backpacker i wanted to see the world i wanted to go and get experience of places that i'd read about that i that i'd never visited and on my way to europe i i had access to a a work visa in the uk which i was lucky enough to have because of australia being part of the the British Commonwealth. Uh, so on my way to the UK to, to work using that visa, I stopped off in 
Thailand and Laos and Vietnam and various other Southeast Asian countries on on my on my journey. So that's that's what prompted it. And then I think my second the second time uh, I was going the other way. I was leaving the UK and I was headed back to headed back to Australia. And uh, yeah, the the digital part was a lot easier then <laughs> on the mm. way back than it was on the way there. Yeah, but I'm very happy to uh, to start this episode with you because you got so much experience traveling, yeah. and you've been like you, you transited from being a backpacker to a, a a digital nomad, a real one. So, uh, this podcast is made for people who want to optimize their digital nomad nomad life nomad's life. What would you tell them? Where where would you start? So I think the hardest part is making the decision. You know, mm. the, the hardest part is is actually just taking that step off the off the cliff, uh, and it's a bit like that Indiana Jones movie where he sort of steps off the cliff and his his foot finds the the hidden path. It, it's it's really taking that initial step to to make it happen is the mm. is really the hardest part for a lot of people, and especially if you've worked for a corporate in a corporate environment or you're used to having a safety net, or you're used to having a you know a, a yeah, all the all the comforts of a uh, working in a what working in a corporate, whether that be somebody to fix the printer or somebody to make sure that the coffee is full every morning. You know, if you've if you've never done freelance work or you've never worked in an agency or a startup, then I I think that walking away from a corporate role into a digital nomad role is probably harder. Um. But having said that, like I said, the, the hardest part is is taking the first step, making the mm. decision. Uh, and then I, I think you need to perhaps have a little bit of humility, but start start in places that are easier. Mm. So, for example, uh, somewhere where you can speak the language. I would yeah. I would start, you know somewhere that you have you can speak the language if you try and start somewhere where you can't speak the language the level of difficulty is going to be a lot higher <laughs> um, yeah. and and there are sites around that that can show you a whole bunch of statistics around safety of certain places what the internet speeds are like what the cost of living is like what the you know so all of that information is 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 available and if you do your research Choose a place that is digital nomad friendly as your first point of call, rather than trying to bite off something that sounds exotic and exciting and um, making it making it difficult for yourself. Right. So have a plan. Yeah. Uh, take the leap of faith. Have a plan. Don't make it. Don't make it too hard for you on the first. Time. I I know what you're saying because I went from France to Laos. <laughs> that was like a big cultural shock, but. I loved it from from day one, but I understand that it might be very difficult for some people. I've seen I've seen that with uh, people traveling traveling to Laos, coming from especially if you come from a, a, a developed country and you're moving into like an emerging emerging country. It's not like uh, coconut and uh, sand beaches and uh, palm trees all the time. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's not vague, not vague end, It's not no. <laughs> But being being digital nomad is it is it for everyone though? Definitely not. No. Hmm. Like I said, I think I think you kind of need a certain 
you see need to be wired in a certain way you need to you need to be able to deal with uh challenges um you know i mean just just little things that might go wrong like not being able to connect to the internet you know a lot of a lot of us live in first world cities and we take broadband connectivity for granted yeah uh, you know we take the ability to be able to get relatively cheap mobile internet for and be able to tether a device and we sort of again take that take that for granted we take it for granted that um things will just work and depending on where you choose to be a digital nomad you need to have the type of personality that if something goes wrong and it does regularly <laughs> mm. you need you need to be able to deal with that and like i say you need to be able to deal with being able to fend for yourself without necessarily having support um around you or being able to call someone from a certain department and have them come and fix an issue for you uh in place but having said that i also think that the pandemic has probably made it an easier transition for some people because they might have spent the last two or three years working from home remotely and therefore a, a transition to a more digital nomad life is easier than going straight from a cubicle or an open plan office into a digital nomad environment. Yeah. And not to mention also that you need to have the right type of passport, I guess. Yeah. Cause you can't, depending on which country you're from, it's going to be easier for you to ask to enter some countries than others. Yeah. So I think that that is definitely, that is definitely true. Definitely true. And, and you need to look at that. You need to look at the digital nomad as, as with most things digital. Um, there is a lens which we tend to look through, which is a Silicon Valley lens or a, or a London lens or, a um, you know, and, and not everybody does have the same freedoms. Mm. Uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have an Australian passport and a UK passport. There are not many countries that I can't get a visa on entry for, um, and the, the those that I can't get a visa on entry will grant me a visa if I pay the right fees for the for the visa. But I know that certain passports there are restrictions on entry to certain parts of parts of the world. Either it's impossible to travel, or getting a visa is not necessarily straightforward. Um, so you need to check that if you're. Uh, I mean, you need to do that for travel, but but it's even more. Uh, important that you check the not just the entry requirements but also the working requirements because it's one thing to enter a country saying that you're a tourist and it's quite another thing being there and working there uh and it's a bit of a gray that's a bit of a gray area uh you know if you're sitting in a cafe working on your laptop you probably won't be bothered if you're turning up to the same office every day okay the same co-working space every single day and sitting at the same desk every day, then it may be perceived by the local authorities that you are working in the country. And if you don't have the right visa, then that could be a problem. Yeah, they can kick you out or ask you for some uh, money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say uh, that being a digital nomad is, is, is a, a privilege? Yes, I do. I do. I, well, I think you, well, again, you, you need to have a, a certain level of 
uh, means. And and I think you know in your introduction you said you know what what's something that you need to need to think about. And there's new models coming along. So for example, most of my digital nomad experience has been kind of at the harder end, where I'm working almost freelance, working for myself, mm. and and that is a risk. That is a high risk strategy, uh, because like I say, you need you need means. You need money in the bank. You need to be able to if you've got no money coming in. You need to be able to survive, uh, whether that's paying for an Airbnb or accommodation or a flight, a flight home if you need to get out. Uh, like and and being able to build that runway or that amount of cash, and it's got to be liquid, right? You can't you can't have that sitting in a in an illiquid asset like a house. Uh, if you yeah. get into trouble, you've got to be able to have that money to hand, and and be able to spend it quickly if you need if you need it. And to be able to have the, those means is not necessarily available to everybody. Um, it's changed a little bit in the last few years. Again, there are there are ways in which companies are more uh, open to have salaried workers working remotely and and travel. Uh, and there's accommodation options and there's various other things so that your your risk and exposure is limited. But yeah, you need you need to you need to be able to have you need to be able to afford to to travel. You need to be able to afford to book airfares. You need to be temporary accommodation is more expensive than long term accommodation. You know, mm. so you need to be able to afford that. Uh, if you want to work in a country, <laughs> a place like Melbourne, you need to be able to afford smashed avocado on toast at twenty five dollars, and that's not that's not a cheap cheap option. Yeah. Same with Dubai. Dubai is seen as a sort of dream digital nomad destination, but it's not cheap. Um, Indeed. So, yeah, that's why I think it's partly a privilege. I think it's also uh, you need to be able to work in a role that that gives you the opportunity. So if you're a coder, great. If you're a freelance copywriter, great. If you're working in a in a manufacturing role, then you've mm. got to be on site. You don't have necessarily the ability to be a digital nomad if you're not doing a digital job. Um, I think it also is a factor of age, uh, and and some big. You need to make some big lifestyle choices. You know, mm. if you've got if you've got kids that are school age, unless again, unless you've got the means to put them into boarding school while you travel around the world, it's not an option for people who are married with kids. Yeah, I uh, I interviewed a, a a family on a bike on a bike tour. They've been traveling on a bicycle more than now. Now it must be like eighty thousand kilometers. Okay. <laughs> and they had two kids while traveling, and uh, two daughters. And the daughters are traveling. I've been traveling with them, but they have to, you know, they homeschool them, and it's it's a completely they are they are real digital nomads. It's a, but like you said, it's a, it's 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 a completely different lifestyle um i i'm interested in uh, going back to your going back to your your experience and what what you what what you said about the, one of the problems of being a digital nomad is uh what i i i mentioned it in my introduction you said that the world is set up based on a single address system 
you were talking about bank accounts, insurance, ID, etc. Can you explain it a little bit more about what the problem yeah, is? Yeah, so I haven't been to a country yet where your identity is not linked to your physical presence or address. Mm. And, you know, when you live an, a normal life, a non-digital nomad life, um, that's not a problem. But when you think about it, everything that you do, and it's become slightly easier uh, recently, but certainly when I left, um, you know, getting a, mo getting a mobile phone in any country, in many countries, still requires proof of address. Just, just to get a SIM card, you need to prove where you live. And in some cases, for some things, whether it's a bank getting a bank account or getting a, certainly getting access to finance, uh, you know, your credit scoring is based on your physical address, your, yeah. um, your proof of ID, your proof of, you know, you need to provide three forms of ID and those IDs need to have your address on them. And in some cases, that address needs to be uh, for three years. You need to prove your address for three years, you know, going back three years. Mm. That's just how the world has been designed. Um, and so being a digital nomad where you cannot prove where you have been living um, or say, this is my, this is my address, is, uh, is very difficult. And it makes life difficult for a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, and that's not even without, that's without even thinking about um, the residency rules, which are pretty, uh, pretty bizarre. You know, how many days you're allowed to spend in a certain country without, you know, violating the visas or, or, or whatever else. But, um, and that, you know, if, if you're American, then that's a, fa that's a factor of degree even more yeah. difficult because you've got to pay tax irrespective of where, where you are. So, um, yeah, it's just the just the way the systems have been designed. Uh, your your who you are and your identity is 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 linked to your physical location and your address. And for many people, the concept that you don't have a permanent address is so foreign and so bizarre that they just haven't haven't built the systems to account for those edge cases. Yeah. Although there are countries now creating like a special, well, more and more countries creating special visas for digital nomads. I'm thinking, especially in Europe, Portugal, uh, I think, uh, well, Estonia, of course, and, and I've heard yeah. about other other countries. Yeah. But I think uh, the UAE, Dubai has now got a yeah. sort of digital nomad visa. Um, but, but even so, many of them assume that you have a home address. Hmm. So if you don't have a if you don't have a home uh, address, then you know, even if you're traveling, they kind of assume that you're traveling, but you're tra traveling temporarily, and that that also kind of assumes that you have a home address, um, which again become can become quite difficult. Um, I mean, it can even become difficult when Google decides that it's going to change the language based on your IP address without you yeah. necessarily giving it consent. Yeah, that's that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you live in Finland. Okay, here 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 you are. Everything in Finnish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it so, back, it again, so it's not set up. The, the world is set up for people who have a have a have an address. 
Yeah, but it goes back to what you were saying earlier on in the conversation about do your research. You know, plan yeah. plan before you, you leave. Like, you're going to need a bank account. So where is going to be your bank account? You're going to need cash. Some countries are still very cash-based. Yeah. Uh, and so you need cash because you have to have that exit strategy just in case something happens to you and you need to be evacuated. You're going to need an insurance. Where do you get an insurance? And by the way, this this uh, podcast is uh, sponsored by Medical Phonomats. And I recommend you guys check uh, check out uh, the, 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 med the medical insurances they, they offer. But what about what about your ID? So, so, what that's, about so that's brand visas, new. Et cetera? Yes. So the medical insurance of people who aren't in a certain country is is brand new and it's um up until now to get global health insurance without an address has been either incredibly expensive or yep. impossible yep it is true it is true um and yeah like you said it's 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 brand new medical phenomenon was created like uh three years three years ago uh and they really like they have a, like a product targeting digital nomads and remote workers where pretty much wherever they are in the world except in usa because the us is always very complicated <laughs> anything to do with insurance in the us is uh, yeah <laughs> um another question for you what are some of the common misconceptions you have seen about digital nomadism that's an interesting question because I think it's still a it's a it's still a fairly edge case mm. type of lifestyle. Like and going back to that sort of privilege uh, question that you asked before, it's I think there's probably far fewer digital nomads than uh, people think there are. Um, but although it might it might be growing, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens post pandemic it, it it was probably it was it was starting to become very very trendy before covid then covid kind of killed it um and everyone had to either return to their homes or get stuck in the place that they were uh so for me i was in dubai at the, when covid hit and uh, basically i couldn't get out of of yeah. dubai i could and if i had have got out i would have had to make a choice whether I go to the UK or to uh, Australia. And again, I'm lucky, very, very lucky that I have two passports and that I could have gone to either the UK or Australia. I chose not to do either and I'm glad I did because if I'd gone to Australia, I would have been locked into Australia for three years and wouldn't have been able to get out um, mm. of Australia. And there's been some horror stories of people who've been separated from their families who haven't been able, literally haven't been able to get on a plane and return to their um to their families um so uh, what was the question <laughs> the common misconceptions about common misconceptions yeah so i think um the biggest the biggest misconception is that it's that it's fun and easy yeah it's like it's like uh it's like entrepreneurialism there's people have the same kind of misconceptions about being an entrepreneur as they do about being a digital nomad. They kind of assume that, you know, it's, it's, it's all having a great time and drinking coffee and, you know, whatever, but actually it's 24 seven hard work. Mm. And, and being a digital nomad is, can be fun. I mean, certainly I enjoy 
meeting new people and I enjoy uh, experiencing new cultures. And as I said at the beginning, experiencing the world through a lens which is not the first world sitting in a big city lens. So I, I, I enjoy that. But the, but the biggest misconception is that it's, it's fun and games all the time and it's not. Um, it can be incredibly lonely. Mm. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't ha necessarily have a network of, of friends and family. You can try and meet other nomads. There's various networking events and things like that. But a lot of those friendships are te very temporary. Uh, and so it can be, a, it can be quite a lonely existence. Uh, it can be at sometimes incredibly challenging, especially when, it, when you're talking about bureaucracy and just things that you would hope would work and expect to work that don't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that and the thing is that you don't, you can't explain that to people living, who've been living in uh, developing countries because you have to experience it to understand what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying, but I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> but even places like Greece, I've, I've been in Athens for the last couple of years, and Athens is part of the European Union. It's, it's, a, it's a very, um, in some senses, it's a very modern country, but in many other senses, it's an incredibly backwards country. Mm. Um, and, and especially if you don't speak Greek, it's almost impossible to get things done. So, uh, yeah, it sounds, it sounds nice, but I wasn't living on, I wasn't in Santorini or Mykonos. Uh, yeah. I was in Athens and, and again, that's a very different experience. So going, going to Santorini or Mykonos for a week's holiday is one thing. Living and working in a, in a place like that uh, long-term is a very different proposition. So it's not a, it's not a holiday. It's not a working holiday. It's, it's work uh, just in a different place. And um, yeah, it's not always fun. And I, and I, I think also the, it's not necessarily a misconception, but it's just little things that people don't necessarily think about until, until they experience it. Like you say, like working in remote time zones, you know, you mm -hmm. think, you think you can get things done, but actually you realize there's only one hour of overlap between business hours between Melbourne and Denmark. And therefore, if I want to have a conversation with someone in Denmark while I'm sitting in Melbourne, this time now is the only hour that there's a shared business hours. <laughs> and that means I have to completely change the way I live my life. It means I can't go out at night because um, I need to be doing business with Europe or I need to wake up at six o'clock in the morning because I want to have a call with Atlanta or, you know, the East Coast of America. And that and that is not an easy, again, not an easy thing to, to get your head around. You can't necessarily work the hours that you nine to five or eight to six or whatever hours you, you might be used to working. You might have to do some very, very long days and wake up very early or stay up very late in order to get things done. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good reality check. Again, ties back to what you were saying earlier on, but you need to plan for it. It's not for everybody. Okay. It's great, but be realistic. And maybe like you were saying earlier on, or again, start slow. <laughs> Don't make a big jump into a, into a, into a, a country that is too far from your current environment in terms of yeah, I mean, I mean, you can push yourself out of your comfort zone, but there's, there's also some sort of soft landing places as well. You know, mm. and I think there's certain, certain places like, you know, for, I, I know that I've never been, but I know Bali is very popular with 
the digital nomad crowd. And I can yeah. sort of understand why um, Bali would be popular with a digital nomad crowd. And places that have got a lot of digital nomads are probably easier than places that don't have a lot of digital nomads. Um, I think I could count about six in Athens at any given time and they weren't really digital nomads. They were just people who said they were. Mm. Mm. I will I will be interviewing someone who's been in, in Bali and will be able to tell us more about uh, commu the community over there. All right, David. So uh, you are in Australia now, back home. Are you planning to move to travel again? Yeah, so I, th I think my, my concept of dig being a digital nomad is going to change. It will okay. be, I'll, I'll still be traveling the same distances, but I'll be in the same country. Okay. So, you know, for example, here to, from Melbourne to Sydney is 800 kilometers from Melbourne to Brisbane, I think is uh, double that. So, yeah, 1,600 kilometers. To Perth is a five-hour flight from, from where I'm at. So, you know, people, some people don't know <laughs> just how big Australia is. It's a, it's a very big place. So, yeah. um, you know, a, a five-hour flight across Europe, you're, you're getting from, you know, London to Athens, a five-hour flight in Australia, you're still in Australia. Mm, um, so I, I plan on traveling, but perhaps within the borders uh, of Australia. New Zealand's only two hours away. Um, but my, my, Again, my lens is going to change because I'm I'm looking at Oceania and Australasia and perhaps Southeast Asia, rather than the Middle East and Europe, which is where my focus has been for the last um, couple of years. But, well, that's uh, a good that's a good concept to start. Maybe start digital. Try try out digital nomadism in your own country first. <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, there's some really good now uh, accommodation uh, options as yeah. well. Um, and I know that there's some some ones that are being targeted more at corporates to allow uh, people who are salaried and working for corporates to be able to move around and access accommodation, uh, you know, flats and, and various things. So there's a few of those concepts which are springing up. And so if you're in the U.S., for example, yeah, start. There's 50-something 50, 50 states in, in the U.S. just... Mm. You know, try doing it in a different state first. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you can make it work in a different state, maybe you'll be able to make it work in a different country. All right. Well, I really uh, enjoyed this conversation. Um, any last words before we uh, conclude? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Uh, I think the next... Uh, I think the next... I'll step back and say, I think the next phase of digital nomads is actually not where it has been. Mm -hmm. I think the next phase of digital nomads will be people who are older rather than people who are younger. Interesting. Uh, I think there will, there will be people who are either forced to go into mandatory retirement but don't want to retire that will be able to work digitally and will basically sort of say, right, I'm going to just travel the world as if I, I was retired, but I'm going to keep working um, you know, via my laptop or do projects or whatever. Uh, I, I think that, again, because of the things we've mentioned in terms of means and uh, time and freedom and all the things that you kind of need to be a digital nomad, you either do that when you're very young or I think what's going to emerge is more people who are in their 
50s or in their 60s who will become digital nomads uh, because they, you know, their kids have left the home, left the home. They've got freedom. They want to continue to work, and they can uh, they can do that. So perhaps that's the the next uh, preconception that that people might have of digital nomads as being, you know, young young coders. Mm. Um, my my prediction might be that actually the next the next uh, wave of digital nomads will be el more elderly, <laughs> older workers. All right. Well, we will see. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David, for your time today. Last question. If people are interested in uh, talking to you about digital nomad nomadism or anything else, how can they contact you? I'm on every social media and have been for years. Well, no, that's not true. I was late to Facebook. I was early to Twitter, <laughs> late to Facebook. <laughs> I think I was one of the first 6,000 people on LinkedIn. Um, right. So I think that's uh, sorry. That's just to, just before I do that. Um, you need to net. You need to network. If you're going to be a mm -hmm. digital no net nomad. You can't be a solitary individual. You need to network. You need to get out and meet people. Um, so use LinkedIn. Use Nomad List. Use some of the other sites that are out there, um, and network like crazy. Because otherwise, it's uh, it it makes it very difficult. But um, Yeah, if you want to find me, I created a Hotmail address in 99 when I left. And it was the first three initials of my um, my name. But So it's DM, DM Freedom. Um, I have been DM Freedom on everything that's ever been invented, every platform. Um, I'm DM Freedom on every platform. <laughs> <laughs> and Hotmail still exists? God. <laughs> I don't know if my Hotmail address still exists. <laughs> I've got my Yahoo. I still got my Yahoo mail. Okay. So DM Freedom at Yahoo. Uh, just DM Freedom. You can get me on Instagram. Yeah. You can get me on Twitter. You can get me wherever you want on uh, DM Freedom. Great. Or DMFreedom.com. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, David, today. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate it. It's been fun. And that's the wrap for today's Destiny for Nomads episode. I hope you found the insights and tips shared by David helpful in your own journey towards location independence. Don't forget to tune in next time for more inspiring stories and expert advice. Until then, subscribe to the podcast no matter where you are. <laughs>